Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Kelly Starrett. And I'm Juliette Starrett. And you're listening to the Ready State Podcast. You got it! You better stop it! You got it! This may sound crazy, but last year I kind of tried to clone my husband. Awesome. Only kind of though. You see, Kelly gets dozens of requests every day for help. And even though he wants to give everyone his personal attention, there just aren't enough hours in the day. So I typed in how to clone a human being into Google. Just kidding, but in seriousness, what we did do was create our virtual mobility coach platform. It's like having a virtual Kelly Star ad in your pocket. Which obviously everyone needs. I mean, that's right. I personally create over 600 mobility protocols for the virtual mobility coach. So the platform can help you with almost any movement problem imaginable. For example, let's say you're in pain. The VMC will show you a diagram of the human body. All you have to do is click where it hurts, and from there, we'll serve you up a customized pain prescription we call Mobility RX. The virtual mobility coach can also help you warm up and cool down when you exercise. Every day, we provide fresh pre- and post-workout mobilizations for more than four dozen sports and movements. Plus, on your days off, we even have a video called Daily Maintenance to help you relax and recover so you can get back 100% in record time. And best of all, right now you can try Virtual Mobility Coach free for two whole weeks. So you can check out everything it has to offer without paying a penny. Claim your free 14-day trial of Virtual Mobility Coach now. Go to thereadystate.com slash free trial. That's thereadystate.com slash free trial. And we'll see you inside. Melissa Hartwig Urban is the co-founder and CEO of the Whole30 program. She's also a six-time New York Times bestselling author. She has been featured by Dr. Oz, Good Morning America, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, People, and Forbes. And she also ranks number 19 on Greatest Top 100 Most Influential People in Health and Fitness. Melissa is the host of Do The Thing podcast and is a prominent keynote speaker on social media and branding, health trends, and entrepreneurship. She lives in Salt Lake City, Utah. Welcome to the Ready State podcast, Melissa. We are so happy to have you. I am thrilled to be here talking to you after so many years. You know, I am th- I am tickled because I know you pre-fame, pre <laughs> pre-axis of the world shifting with your crazy brain and all the amazing work you've done. So, um, look, you are you have to live in a rock under a rock to not hold have heard of Whole Thirty. Um, of all of the potential diet, nutrition, behavior change plans that have been out in the world, I run into Whole30 the most. Congratulations. I thank you so much. It's so nice to hear that. Um, yes, we go way, way back. It's been probably 10 years. I sat in on one of your first mobility certs before it was an actual cert. So sorry about that. I I do <laughs> no no no. I'm not gonna get that time back. I still have a a huge love of mobility now, but yes, I really appreciate you saying that whole 30 has been, um, definitely kind of a slow burn. It started very underground and sort of word of mouth. And now it's really nice to see that it feels almost like a household name. It really has. And again, I just want to echo congratulations before we really start asking you about the whole 30 and nutrition in general. Um, and this is going to be a broad question, but tell us a little bit about your background and, and just specifically, you know, what were you doing before you started Whole30? Yeah. Well, for about five years, I was a drug addict. And that's really where my story starts. I spent a lot of years in my early 20s using 
And it wasn't until I entered into recovery that I started really paying attention to things like what I ate. I got into exercising. I mean, I hadn't set foot in a gym a day in my life. I came from what was the least healthy place you could imagine. And in order to kind of maintain my recovery, I realized I had to change everything about my life. And that's where my dive into nutrition and health and wellness and fitness came from. So before I founded, co-founded Whole30, I was running a CrossFit gym um, and I was very heavily entrenched in the CrossFit community. So, you know, I was traveling for CrossFit kettlebell certs, teaching with Jeff Martone, Mike Bergner taught me to snatch in his garage. I was traveling with Jeff Tucker, learning about gymnastics, writing articles for the CrossFit journal. And I had my own affiliate for a while back in New Hampshire called CrossFit 603. And the whole 30 was created in this kind of world of CrossFit, really just as like a two person self-experiment after going to one of Rob Wolf's nutrition seminars and hearing him talk about, you know, the impact of an anti-inflammatory diet on things like exercise and recovery. Can you tell me what the least healthy place was? You, you said you grew up in the least healthy place. So I just, I, I was curious Yeah, I <laughs> what mean, that means I, and where that was. You know, it, after some trauma at 16, I really was searching for a way to escape, to numb my feelings, to like avoid processing what had happened to me. And when I found drugs at 18, it was like the perfect escape. And I really dove in as hard and as fast as you could imagine. I joke that I only dated drug dealers for five years, but that's not a joke. Like they had access to everything I wanted and that's who I kind of connected myself with. So I didn't have any one drug of choice. I kind of used them all. My claims to fame are that I never did crack and I never shot up, but like anything else was fair game. And I was very functional when I used friendships and a boyfriend. And it wasn't really until like the last year of my addiction that the wheels significantly started falling off my bus. But I mean, no aspect of that was healthy. Um, and, and that was really the very dark hole that I crawled out of. What's so, what's so important, and I want people to understand this, is that you are an expert in changing behavior. And your experience uh, pre-owning a gym and then being in this gym environment where you're seeing people on the continuum of self-medication and self-treatment with food and sleep and, and all the other things that people contend with, the hallmark of what's amazing for me about Whole30 was that it's a behavior first change and it, that it recognizes it takes a minute to change behavior. Can you talk yeah. about the genesis of Whole30? Because that's for me what's so amazing about your story is that you became an expert in understanding that it takes a minute and it's difficult to change behavior. And then maybe that's one of the reasons Whole30 makes sense. And explain where the name Whole30 came from. Yeah, that's such a great point. You know, in my experience, and the reason I so freely talk about my experience with drug addiction is that from a psychological perspective, drugs and food are not that different. And in the beginning, you know, when I first did my very first Whole30, before it was even called Whole30, I had such a dramatic and profound and permanent change to my emotional relationship with food and my body as a result of this self-experiment. It was the first time in my life I was able to get off the scale and out of the mirror. It was the first time in my life that I realized that there were times where I was using food the way I used to use drugs, to numb, to punish, to reward, to self-soothe, to relieve anxiety. It was such a powerful realization and it really helped me connect these ideas of like, 
it doesn't matter what you're numbing with or self-soothing with or relieving anxiety with. If it's not a healthy coping mechanism, it's not serving you. So going into creation of the Whole30, we've got rules and there are things that you do eat and things that you don't eat for 30 days. But bigger picture than that, we are really focusing on resetting people's habits and emotional relationship with food. And there's a lot of psychology and habit research built into the program. There's a ton of recovery language built into the program, which is something I didn't even realize I was doing at the time. Only in retrospect, when people started coming up to me at seminars in the early days saying, are you in recovery? Because I'm hearing, like, I'm a friend of Bill W's and I'm hearing a lot of language here that I realized how much of my own experience was built into, you know, what the Whole30 has to offer. And Whole30 is a a really nice round name for this idea of a 30-day self-experiment where you're taking into account not just your health, but your habits and emotional relationship with food. But in reality, you know, the Whole30 is about so much more than just food. You know, I don't know if I've talked about this before ever. I don't even know if I even said this to Julian. I think she knows it. I went to visit my my crazy past father. My my mom was a single working mom and I was maybe a first grader and I went and stayed with him in New Mexico. He was a fighter pilot and I was alone a lot and in crazy great Santini kind of situations. And I came back to my mom probably 30 pounds heavier. <laughs> I got off the airplane and my mom was like, whoa, like what happened? And I had learned to self-soothe with food. And that was the first time I ever realized, I mean, in retrospect now, I'm like, oh, why was I a little fat kid with a bowl cut and a girl's name? I mean, you yeah. know, like I have this, <laughs> I can yet. completely relate to what you're saying about, you know, feeling better. And even to this day, I love cookies. And sometimes I feel safe when I feel full. Yes. Gosh, when I used to do individual consulting, one of the first questions I would ask my clients is, what's your first memory of food? And invariably, it goes back to childhood. It's every time mom and dad fought, my dad would take me out for ice cream. Or you know, mom wouldn't let me eat any sweets because she was always dieting, so I would hide cookies under my bed. And it's like, it's so telling and such a, a sort of premonition for like why we all have such a messed up relationship with food as adults. It's, it was learned, it was modeled. Society makes it so easy for us to lean on food. It encourages us to lean on food and booze for comfort and reward. The foods that these scientists are making today are super normally stimulating and calorie dense and nutritionally light that can promote overconsumption and craving. Like We're in this perfect tornado of you're going to have a messed up relationship with food and it's really hard to break that cycle. And that's really what Whole30 aims to do. You know, before we go, I have like 25 questions, but before we go on, could you just describe from like a nuts and bolts standpoint what the whole 30 is? Like if I were going to do it tomorrow, you know, what would I expect? What What is the program? What does it look like? I mean, I know it's 30 days, but can you yeah. expand upon really like the specifics of what Some people of are doing on it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I mentioned that the Whole30 is, it's not a diet, it's not a weight loss program or a cleanse or a detox. It's a real reset for your health habits and relationship with food. At its heart, at its foundation, the Whole30 is built on the framework of an elimination diet, which has been around since the 1920s. And most doctors consider elimination diets the gold standard, even today with all the lab work we have for identifying food sensitivities. So the premise of the Whole30 is that there are foods that are in your diet currently, even the stuff that you might consider healthy, that could be having a negative impact on how you look, how you feel, your quality of life. And the way to know how these foods impact you is to pull them out of your diet, 
see what happens, reintroduce them at the end very carefully and systematically, and compare your experience. So what the Whole30 does is for 30 days, we eliminate food that the scientific literature and my now 10 years of clinical experience shown have been very commonly problematic to varying degrees across a broad range of people. And because these foods can be problematic, I'm going to say to you as part of your self-experiment, why don't you pull them out for a month? We're going to eat lots of real whole nutrient-dense food. We're not going to count calories. We're not going to restrict calories. You're never going to be hungry, but we're going to pull these foods out and see what happens to your energy, your sleep, your mood, your attention span, your digestion, your skin, aches and pains, your migraine, asthma, allergies, all of this stuff. Let's see what happens if we pull these potentially problematic foods out. And then at the end, when you reintroduce them, if you pull dairy out and your skin break, you know, clears up and you reintroduce it and your skin breaks out, that gives you really valuable information about how that, work, how that food works for you. So, you know, every dietitian and nutrition expert in the world says there is no one size fits all. You have to figure out what works for you. And everyone's like, yeah, 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 I get it. That sounds cool. How do I figure out what works? That's right. I just have one funny story to tell you. And I I love the idea of actually just testing your own body through an elimination diet. Um, I actually did one of those online food sensitivity tests and I did a phone consult and at at item food item number 75. I said, hey, could I stop you for a second? Are you telling me that I'm allergic to food? Yeah. Um, And what I've learned, at least in my own experience, is that, you know, if I am not feeling well, there's usually a few obvious culprits. And I really just need to trust my feeling and my own body and, and, you know, not, not necessarily rely on some random test like that. (laughs) Yeah. And it's so hard with those food sensitivity tests, because if you're going into it with like, gut permeability or what like is generally known as a leaky gut, you're going to react to stuff that you may not actually have a problem with, but it's reacting because it's getting through that gut into your immune system. So that's why an elimination diet can be so incredibly impactful because it may not show up as good as our lab testing is. It may not show up on a lab test. It, you know, it, there may be confounding factors. Like I can eat this during some situations, but if I'm under stress, this is going to impact me so much more. And it really puts the power back in your hands. You're not reliant on some lab test or a doctor to tell you what you should or shouldn't do. You get to decide for yourself how these foods impact you and whether or not they're worth it to keep eating. I run into people all the time who have I don't know. They're maybe they're like four-time alumni, five-time alumni of Whole30. They go through. They do a really good job. They sort of bring consciousness to you know how they feel when they eat, right? Just the same way we should bring consciousness to how we feel when we sleep, or if we go out drinking, do we how do we feel the next day? I mean, you can make those associations. And what I really appreciate is that really it it cleans up, for lack of a better word, it it reguides people's eating habits. And then sometimes they fall off the wagon and all they do is go back into, Hey, how do I reset consciousness around this? Has that been your experience? Or I mean, I have to feel like of all the, the eating regimes, regimens I've seen, you guys must have the highest adherence of them all. We do have incredible adherence to the program. And that's in part because at this point the whole 30 is 10 years old. I've created so many resources, hundreds of thousands of recipes available for free. There's downloadable PDFs. There's a forum. We have a you know group of 250 Whole30 certified coaches. And because the rules are so black and white, they're so on or off, they're so like very well constructed and supported, 
people jump into it and they jump into the whole 30 much like they jump into like an like a gym community right it's it, you've got a group of like-minded people you belong to something bigger than yourself you're all on the same journey you've all got the same growth mindset so people definitely do adhere to the program really well and the vast majority of people who do a whole 30 are able to successfully complete it we also have an entire program for what you do when the whole 30 is over because honestly it's pretty easy to do something for 30 days what's a lot harder is taking that and actually turning it into a sustainable lifestyle. And so we do have a ton of support in that area as well. But it's really comforting for people to know that if a vacation or a stressful event or the holidays knocks them off their healthy eating game, they can always come back to the Whole30 where they know that they're going to reset and feel their best and regain their energy and start sleeping better and feel more confident. Well, I just want to say, Juliet's got a question for you, but I just want to say that I think it's really nice of you and generous of you to say that anyone can do anything for 30 days. I think that's, <laughs> that is an, a miracle already in of itself. And even when I'm like, oh, just eliminate sugar. And I, and I, I had a reaction. I was like, no, I can't do it. I yeah. Do it. <laughs> yeah. I don't that's mean you're addicted. That it's yeah, I don't mean to suggest that it's easy. It is not easy, right? You know, the most famous line of the Whole30 says, this is not hard right? Uh, fighting cancer is hard. Birthing a baby is hard. Losing a parent is hard. Drinking your coffee black is not hard. But the very next line- Not eating <laughs> chips and tortillas. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. Right. I get yeah. it. Um, but it is hard and we know that it's hard and, and it's very, that's why we have so much support around it because food is not just food. Food is emotional and it's love and it's comfort and all the things we already talked about. Is there a certain population in, in your now 10 year experience that is seeing- the best results on Whole30, you know, old versus young, male, female, is, or is it universally working for all populations? It, you know, there is only one population group for whom the Whole30 is contraindicated right out of the gate, and those are people who have a history of disordered eating or eating disorders. The rules of the Whole30 are very strict and they can be triggering. So if that's your context, the Whole30 is not the program for you unless it's under the supervision of like a trained counselor. For those who do the Whole30, you know, it's very, it's universally, it works really, really well. And the testimonials we get are like almost carbon copies of each other in terms of energy and sleep and mood and cravings and um, self-confidence. But where I'm really seeing a thriving population right now are my, is my parents' generation, your parents' generation, oh, you know? It's the people who are in their 60s and maybe 70s who are on a couple different medications and their doctors have told them that they're just going to have to settle for being on these meds and they're going to have to settle for the aches and pains and the loss of vitality. And they do a Whole30 a lot of times at the urging of their kids or grandkids and they take their whole life back. They come off their medication where they've reversed their type 2 diabetes. You know, it's not a medical treatment plan, but amazing things happen when you change the food that you put on your plate. And and it's so cool to see that population feel like they have a new lease on life. One of the things that I think is really interesting and compelling is that you were in a legitimate strength and conditioning environment. You guys are great coaches. I don't think people appreciate that you're a behavior ninja change coach around nutrition, but you're also a great movement coach. And, you know, and I know you can do that piece too. I think we feel like we've sold a lot of health as you just got to move more, right? It's always about moving more, exercising more intensely. And on this other side, clearly there was something that was missing. And sometimes 
you know, when, as we're trying to untangle this fitness, wellness, wellness, you know, live to be a hundred, you know, phenomenal for people, we think it's a lot simpler than, you know, high intensity exercise. Has that, has that been your experience that people see much more profound changes when they really understand food and how food affects their bodies than working out harder? I know it's a, you know, it's not going to be universal because there will be some people who are like, I started an exercise routine and that's where my love of nutrition came from. That was mm. me when I first started out. But what I've come to realize is that food and our relationship with food is so foundational to every other area of our life. And when we feel out of control with food, it spills over how we show up with food is how we show up everywhere. And if we feel out of control and addicted and beating ourselves up about it, we've got guilt and shame around our eating habits, you know, that spills over and shows up in other areas of our life. We feel less in control. We feel less confident. I find that looking at your relationship with food and doing a program like the Whole30, even if you don't exercise at all, has such an incredible positive benefit and spillover everywhere. So what I find is people do the Whole30, they feel so much better, they're in control of their food, they feel like they're nourishing themselves from a place of self-love and it inevitably makes them say, what else can I do? Can I start going for walks? Can I start meditating? Can I start you know, taking a cold shower in the morning? Can I start, can I go back to school? Can I dump my toxic boyfriend? Like they start asking these questions because it, it empowers them and it gives them so much forward momentum. So I do, you know, the name of my first book is It Starts With Food. And I definitely have come to believe that I think it does. You know, we, at the very beginning of this conversation, you talked about how when you were consulting with people on a one-on-one -on -one basis, you know, you would always have them reflect back on their original experience with food and how so many people seem to have pretty messed up relationships with food that started when they were kids. And I'm really aware of that as a parent, especially of two girls. And, you know, I we already have a, a daughter that's already 15 and hopefully we haven't already messed that up. But, um, you know, I try as a mom in particular to be so quiet about any food program or diet or anything I'm trying, um, you know, because obviously we're in this health and fitness space and, you know, you're our friends. So we want to try the whole 30 or, you know, our friends are doing the keto diet or whatever it is. And in a way, I just sort of try to do my own experimenting outside the, the eyes of my daughters, because I just want them to develop a healthy relationship with food. Um, and being it's anyway, it's complicated for me being in this health and fitness space and making sure I protect them and help them develop a healthy relationship with food. What are first of all, what are your thoughts on that? And is would it ever be appropriate for a kid to, to do the whole 30? So I'm a parent as well. I have a seven-year-old son and he's never done a whole 30. Now he kind of, he basically eats the way I eat anyway. And he has kind of out of the womb. We haven't done a lot of sugar with him. We don't do grains. We don't do dairy. Like he eats the way we eat, but I've never put him on a strict whole 30 because he doesn't have a need. He doesn't have a medical condition. He doesn't have a behavioral condition that may benefit from a really strict elimination plan. I know there are lots of parents and lots of healthcare providers who have recommended a Whole30 or an elimination diet for kids. And it's almost always to try to identify causes or those foods that may be contributing to a specific condition, eczema, asthma, allergies. We've heard some amazing testimonials for behavioral issues, sensory processing issues. 
And if that's the case, if you are trying to figure out as a parent whether your child's diet is contributing to one of these kind of debilitating conditions, then you can certainly frame it as a self-experiment around trying to figure out what's, what these triggers are. You know, every time you go out on the playground, ground and you gasp and you have to use your inhaler, I know it super bums you out and it's really hard for me to watch you having a hard time breathing. Um, I think maybe some of the food we're eating may be helping, you know, hindering your breathing. So we're going to do a little experiment where we change our food for a couple weeks and see if it helps your breathing. And if it does, then we have a lot more information about how you can breathe easier, right? That's a really good way to frame it. We're not talking about weight loss. We're not talking about diet. We're not talking about restriction. We're talking about this like self-experiment. I do think it's really tricky with kids. And I do think that it's every parent's own very personal decision about whether to do a Whole30, whether to model that for your kids, whether to include the kids. There are lots of families who bring their kids along for the ride because mom and dad cook and kids eat what mom and dad cook. And so therefore they're along for the ride. I certainly don't think a Whole30 approach would hurt a kid. You're eating meat, vegetables, fruit, natural, healthy fats. Like it's a, it's a good kind of wholesome, whole food-based approach. But whether or not you structure it as we're doing a Whole30 or whether or not you you know decide to share your experience with your kids, it's, it's very personal. So I said early that I thought Whole30 was like the pinnacle of reasonableness around <laughs> you know reintroducing your relationship to food. And I hope if you were just listening to that explanation, you can see why the Whole30 is Whole30 is so successful because the way the sensitivity, the unpacking of a lot of the the tight emotional relationships, it's all baked into this incredible program. I mean, just the way you even described that now then is beautiful. If you took a second, I go into the Instagram universe and I'm sort of shocked by what I see. I think we're at sort of peak wellness, peak fitness, you know, nonsense and silliness. Are there large trends without having to, th we always talk positive, but are, are you seeing any trends in sort of cultural food that besides skyrocketing obesity rates and skyrocketing diabetes rates and all the other processed foods, are you seeing things that are, you think we need to get ahead on that are really scary? And more importantly, also, what do you think we're starting to get right? Um, I think we're starting to get right the idea that like, if we just focused on the basics, like eat, buying real food and learning how to cook. I'm seeing a lot of overlap. And even, you know, you're looking at various kinds of diets. You're looking at Whole30, you're looking at a keto approach, you're looking at intermittent fasting, you're looking at carnivore and like veganism. What they have in common is that we're eating real food and we're cooking. Those are really excellent places to start. And, you know, people ask me if you could only give one kind of healthy eating tip, what would it be? And it's like cook, cook food at home. Yeah. So I think we're doing that right. What I think is missing and social media kind of contributes to this quite a bit it's just this lack of like context, this lack of understanding that like context matters, that just because this nutrition approach worked really well for this person doesn't mean that you can shove that like square box into your round hole. So, you know, if you're a avid CrossFitter and you also play soccer, a ketogenic approach may not be the right fit for your kind of athletic activity. And you should take a look at the context in which you want to apply these things. You know, there's a a kind of a funneling of like dietary approaches that are meant for very specific populations, usually around a medical condition like keto or intermittent fasting or even carnivore, that then somehow get watered down through this game of telephone through social media to this is a really good weight loss strategy for everyone. 
And like, I, I, I worry about that. I worry about people taking those on, not considering the context, not making sure that they're doing it the right way. Like there's a good way to do carnivore and there's a not good way to do carnivore. And then I worry about them bouncing, you know, from fad to fad or trend to trend without ever really like settling into, you know, how does, how is this working for me and spending enough time with it and getting enough, like, I guess, experience with it to determine what works for them. Um, so that's, I think, my biggest fear is just the lack of contextual information that we see around some of these trends right now. Yeah. And I love that you say there's not really a one size fits all. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of these approaches depend on your personality and what you're trying to do athletically and what your weight gain or weight loss goals are. Um, so I, I love the, I love your comment about context. I, I have that's not so found important. A, a eating regimen that has regrown my hair. Um, I just have to tell you, I have to tell you a quick story. Just, this is mostly to give you props. Isn't really a question, but we took our daughters to see star Wars in January and we are hardcore food smugglers when we go to the movies and we carry in bags and bags of food. Um, and so we decide I, I was there on my phone ordering everybody some Chipotle and yeah. I scrolled down and I was like, no way I can get a whole 30 Chipotle burrito bowl. So, um, you know, I've obviously seen the whole 30 label on different products at Whole Foods and, and in other places, but for some reason I found that to be particularly striking. Um, and I guess I sort of have a question out of that, you know, why do you think it, you know, the whole 30 has resonated so well, both with people and then also with like a gigantic corporation like Chipotle? I know. It's so cool. That Chipotle bowl, man, that was like the culmination of, you know, two years of work and me feeling like, okay, I can go home now. I have my name on a Chipotle bowl. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's a couple things. I think for one, the Whole30 brand is like the lowest common denominator for a huge group of people. So if you eat paleo, if you eat primal, if you eat gluten-free, if you're dairy-free, or if you just feed your family a low sugar food, you see the whole 30 label and you automatically know it fits your eating style. So like that's one really appealing thing for retailers and for organizations is that they know that just with that one little symbol they're going to reach this really broad group of people. I also think the whole 30 community is huge and fiercely loyal and very very vocal and what they love to see are companies who want to take good care of them. So when Chipotle rolls out a couple Whole30 bowls and the community says like, oh, the carne asada is awesome, but like we would love to have chicken. And then Chipotle goes and changes their formulation and rolls out chicken this year. Like the community takes notice and they want to support companies who are taking good care of them. So it's like this win, win, win where, you know, we get great brand exposure. We get to connect our community with these organizations who really deeply care about their health and their wellness. And then companies get this influx of like this army of fiercely loyal supporters who will only buy your brand of salad dressing until the day they die because you've been taking such good care of them. So it's kind of like a win-win-win all around. Well, and I just want to appreciate again, because it's something that we spend so much time thinking about is meeting people where they are and removing the barriers to adherence. It's really difficult to be on some of these austere eating regimens and then go out into the world. And it's really reasonable to help people guide them to make easy choices where they don't have to think. We just, it's less decision and so smart to integrate this sort of very principled eating into the things where people find themselves at a mall. It's just, it's brilliant. 
Yeah. I mean, you want to, you want people who travel a lot for work, who, you know, are invited out for lunch with their friends or who are, you know, staying with their in-laws in a strange town. Like, I don't want that to be a make or break for your whole 30 experience. So the fact that we've got frozen meals in Walmart and we've got these Chipotle bowls and, you know, you could prove Epic bars or chomp snack sticks or primal kitchen dressing. Like it does make it easier. Those convenience products for sure take a lot of the, um, you know, the guesswork out of like, okay, I'm, I'm in a hurry and I need something fast. Like I know this works for me. And I, and I just wanted the caveat is that that has never been your message. I mean, your message has been cook whole foods at home, but the reality is that people find themselves in the world. Yeah, I know. It's so funny that you say that because like 10 years ago when you knew me, I would have been so much more dogmatic about this. I would have said, make all your own stuff at home, cook all your own food at home. You don't need to go out to eat. Like you can kind of figure it out. You know what changed that is becoming a parent and realizing (laughs) that like, right? Not everyone yes. has the luxury of being able to cook and prepare all your meals from scratch at home. And there are some nights where it's like the best thing I can do is an Applegate hot dog and some leftover sweet potato on a plastic Killed dinosaur it. plate. And that's <laughs> good enough. Yeah. So I'm yeah. way less dogmatic about it now. I want everyone to feel like they can do the program if they want to. And if that means you're getting a Chipotle bowl once a week because you just can't even with meal planning, I'm so okay with that. Yeah. And it's not the limiting factor. I actually no. follow a bunch of people um, who meal who do do and photograph their meal planning on Instagram and literally universally they not one of them has a child. (laughs) (laughs) You know, on Sunday, on Sunday I'm taking my kids to sports practice and hopefully buying healthy food that we can cook during the week and, you know, running and running around like crazy. And I 100% do not have four hours to meal prep for my entire week. Yes. Right. Exactly. And like, let's not let the, let's not let perfect be the enemy of good. There are people who have more money than time. And for those people go buy a compliant salad dressing, go buy all the convenience foods you want and just like get your whole 30 done for people who are on a budget. We have tons of resources for how to make your own salad dressing and how to make your own mayo. It takes like five minutes and it's so much less expensive. So we're kind of hitting both ends of the bell curve because accessibility is really important to us. Yeah, it really is. I mean, uh, so much about, I think sometimes wellness and health feels like it's a, it's an element of privilege, and not an issue of social justice. And that you know people are really good, you know, products of their experience. And I don't know who taught you to eat, you know, who taught you how to cook, you know, where we we have seen, for example, one of your principles of cooking food and sitting down and eating together. Um, you know, that is a hallmark of all the elite groups we work with. They, they, you know, once a week, at least they all sit down and eat off of real plates because they can, and they make it a priority. So, I mean, so it's so fun to see what we've learned around sort of high level performance, you know, elite human performance come back to this foundation. And when I open up whole 30 and, you know, revisit it again and again and again for my own self, I'm always shocked to just see that the kernels have always been there. So Melissa, you have an awesome podcast called Do The Thing that where you cover a lot of topics, but we listened to a, a one episode where you talked about navigating giving up drinking, which is mm. a constant in our life. And one of the things that we particularly loved was how you talked about dealing with the discomfort other people have when you give up drinking, which has been our own experience 
Um, I wouldn't say that Kelly and I don't drink at all, but we barely drink. Um, and we certainly see that that choice makes people around us uncomfortable. So mm. I just, I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about the drinking thing. Yeah. It's so interesting. So of course on the whole 30, if you're on a whole 30, you're not having alcohol for 30 days. So not drinking is kind of built into the whole 30 program. And I always talked about this idea of like, you know, how to deal with peer pressure and stuff on the whole 30. But if you're on the whole 30, it's a lot easier because people say, do you want to drink? And you say, no, I'm on the whole 30. I'm really committed to that. And you've got this like built in excuse for people like you or people like me who just decided one day, 18 months ago that I wasn't going to drink anymore. It's a lot more complicated and you can make people feel bad about what they're doing just by rolling up to the bar and ordering a sparkling water with a lime. And it's so important to understand that they're like experience with alcohol and how they are choosing to receive the fact that you are not drinking is not your problem. That is not anything that you have to pick up and carry. You do not have to accept the weight of their judgment. Anything that they may say in response to you're not drinking, something like, oh, yeah, like you're no fun or, oh, you're too good to, you know, you're too much of an athlete to just have like one beer, whatever that crap is that comes out of their mouth, it's like judgment is a mirror, not a window. And it is just reflecting back on their own relationship with alcohol, their own insecurities around that relationship. You know, maybe they're taking a look at things that they see you do and they think to themselves, I could do that or I should do that, but I'm not able or ready to. Whatever their reaction is, it's like not yours to pick up and carry. And I think that can be really, really freeing and helping people respond to like peer pressure, judgment, or overt like sabotage from other people trying to get you to drink when you just don't want to. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And, you know, I, I wonder and sort of assume, you know, one of the things I see is that I think a lot of people feel terribly from drinking all the time, but they feel terribly all the time. And so they they don't know anymore that they feel bad because they wake up every day feeling bad. And so that becomes mm -hmm. their new normal. And I'm wondering if, you know, just the mere fact of giving up alcohol for 30 days on the whole 30 gives people a little perspective on that, you know, just if that alone isn't just a huge way that people feel better. Oh, it's huge, huge. People come, come back to either they give up alcohol and like at the end of the 30 days, they're like, I miss it so much less than I thought I would. And I kind of don't want to reintroduce it right away because I feel so good and I don't want to do anything to mess, mess it up. And, you know, when I reintroduced, when I give up alcohol for a couple months and then have even one glass of wine, a half a glass of wine, it messes with my sleep so much, which messes with my mood and my energy the next day and my workout the next day. And it's like this giant cascade effect where I'm just like, it's not worth it. So yeah, I think a whole 30 can be an incredibly powerful experience for people to evaluate not only their relationship with food, but also, you know, with alcohol. Well, you know, what I have always loved is this, that you've shift the low side of control back to the person. And you're like, don't take my word for it. See for yourself. Run an mm -hmm. experiment. Because the worst thing that happens is you just start drinking again or you eat the cookies again. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And uh, really, just the, the fact that you're like, hey, you know, let us know. You know, let yourself know. How, how do you feel when you eat this way? And how do you feel when, you know, you don't eat this way? I just, I, I just can't recommend and wholeheartedly endorse the way you've been talking about food for the last decade. Oh, I appreciate that so much. I really do want the Whole30 to be an empowering experience. So often we feel so disempowered when it comes to food. We feel disempowered when it comes to our health. We're looking to outsiders like nutrition experts or our doctors to kind of like 
fix us and make us feel better. And I want people to have that experience of like, no, 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 do the self-experiment, figure it out for yourself, make your own set of rules and guidelines and conscientious decisions. And then you get to decide exactly how good you want to look and feel while still enjoying the stuff that makes life, you know, worth it. Amazing. So Melissa, you obviously have a thousand balls in the air, but tell us what's next. What are you looking forward to? What are you up to next? Yeah, well, we're working on, you know, always a bunch of community initiatives for the whole 30. So we have some great partnerships right now. Obviously, Chipotle is really exciting. Um, we are, have a, a group of about 250 whole 30 certified coaches, and that is just continuing to grow. These are people all across the country who provide boots on the ground in person social support for the whole 30. So if you want to do the program and, you know, nobody at your gym or your church group or in your family wants to do it, you can seek out a coach and work with them. And they've been fantastic for that. Um, on my own personal front, you know, I really love doing the podcast. I'm talking about things that are very tangential to food, but not necessarily about food. I'm talking about entrepreneuring and self-care and addiction and recovery and boundaries and relationships and basically just like sharing all the stuff I've learned in therapy for the last couple decades. Um, so, uh, you know, all of that stuff is definitely keeping me busy. Well, it's funny how it all, you know, it is relationship based and, and connected. You know, I, I have friends like you and Rob Wolf and I was like, I don't need to touch nutrition. It's not my thing. <laughs> but it turns out I can't talk about your tissue health and the fact yeah. that you don't sleep and you're totally inflamed and you move like crap and get injured unless I talk about nutrition. So thank you so much for doing so much of the heavy lifting. Where, I mean, obviously you have to be under a rock to not hear Whole30 and just Google Whole30, but where would we send people to learn more about this experiment, self-experimenting, you know, Mecca? So we have the whole 30, it's really important for me to point out is available completely for free on our website. The entire program is free. A bunch of PDF resources are free. The forum is free, tons of blog articles, Fantastic. tons of recipes. Like you can do the whole program and only buy your food. So everything is available at whole30.com. That's all of our social media handles at whole30. And I'm primarily active on Instagram and you can find me at Melissa Yu. Amazing. Awesome. Thank you again so much, Melissa. It's wonderful to hear your voice. It's so good to reconnect with you both too. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Ready State Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, check out all our episodes here or at thereadystate.com. And be sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes to help others find our show. Check us out and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Ready State. Until next time. Cheers, everyone. You got it.